Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the New York Mystery Machine. Tammy Hall, but for ghosts! But for the ghosts! Murder in Manhattan, well, aliens, Luda Cartel, Stranger Things in Montauk is a dwarf thing. Spooky Popper, Schultz's Treasure, Son of Sam, Police Pressured, Rister, Seacock's House of Death, Champy doesn't sing. Olive is a friendly ghost, UFOs at Pine Bush House, Sweet Hollow, Frank is gone, and Theodosia's swan song. Merchant House is creepy, witches are so sneaky, cats go stripper, Thanksgiving murders, Dorothy and Lennon. We didn't solve those mysteries, we just report them. It's up to you to sort them. We didn't solve those mysteries. It's our job to tell them, not to dispel them. Alice Parsons, Christmas Dread, Morris Jumel, Captain Kidd, Ain't It Scary, Sean and Carrie, Roosevelt, Isle. Old Shakes, Crater Flakes, Flow Will Kill You, Gringo Scrapes, Odyssey, Study Group, Get Them All on Trial. Graves Robbed, Easter Green, Molly's Ghost, Just Won't Leave, Conspiracy, Publishing, 9-11, What Missing, Agent, FBI, Melrose Plastics, Where She Died, Shanley Shack, Men in Black, Way Too Much of Hazel Drew. We didn't solve those mysteries, we just report them, it's up to you to sort them. We didn't solve those mysteries. It's our job to tell them, not to dispel them. Bill McKinley, Stanford White, Jersey Devil, Marcia Pride, Recap, Amity, Horror and Calamity, Spencer S, Esther F, History Museum, that Fox Sisters, Bunch of Lies, Susan Lee, All Sat Demise. Joel Rifkin, Mad Bomber, Chrysler and Home Harvey, Bardell, St. John's Ghost, Juliet, 57th Street Unit, Murder in Cherry Hill, Hungry Lucy, Cannibal, Mary Roger, Ghost Train, Sagamore is insane. We didn't solve those mysteries, we just report, it's up to you to sort them. We didn't solve those mysteries, it's our job to tell them, not to dispel them. Dave Lasso, Empress, Strange or Knox at Christmas, Jewett, Hellgate, Lonely Hearts, Killings, Murder of Bob Albert Sider, 12 Gay Street, Ghosts are dire, L.I. Monster, Harris Missing Murder, Sackett Street Terror, Nexium Terrors, Sarah Eastland, Green Area, Story That We Told in Three. We didn't solve those mysteries, we just reported, it's up to you to sort them. We didn't solve those mysteries. It's our job to tell them, not to dispel them. Bank High Seven Men, Aaron Burr is back again. Nikki C, dead body in car. OMG Bell, murderous Kristen O. Axe is no way to go. Hipster Larry and Chelsea, Cam's and Michael missing. Luggage at the Marriott, torso killer needs to rot. Bigfoot pants, more aliens, baseball, ghostly friends. Genevieve's friendly, Cybersteen ain't friendly. An early cult, a missing father, now it's time for time. Solve those mysteries. We just report. It's up to you to sort them. We didn't solve those mysteries, but when we're gone, they'll still go on and on and on and on and on. We didn't solve those mysteries. We just report. It's up to you to sort them. We didn't 
these are those mysteries. It's our job to tell them, not to dispel them. Yeah! <laughs> hey, everyone! Hello! So what happened was, <laughs> last week I was in the airport, and I said to Christina in text message form, what if we wrote a parody to We Didn't Start the Fire, but I put every single episode of the New York Mystery Machine from 1 to 100 in the song. There you go. And that's what I did over the course of three days. And yeah. And here we are. And episode he, 100. Are you, now, are you proud of me? I'm very proud of you. I work so hard. I it, it is It is a work of beauty. I was like sitting at Sam's dining room table, mm-hmm. just like telling her lyrics, <laughs> then sending you lyrics. And I swear, I'm going to share on our social media how I devised this. And I'll share the lyrics too, because I know like it's a fan song. You may not catch all the references, um, but uh, I'll share the lyrics on our social media so you can appreciate the work so that at your next karaoke party you can sing this instead <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a doozy i have a few favorites from it mm-hmm. i think my one of my favorites is sarah e slade ranary an episode we told in three yes that was one of my favorites um way too much hazel drew <laughs> that was a good one never enough hazel drew you guys welcome to episode 100 of the new york mystery machine crazy this Who'd is ins- thunk? i not literally not may we a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a car in Quincy, Illinois, and I said to Sam as we were driving, I said, I think I want to do a new podcast based on mysteries and true crimes and ghost hauntings. I want to be based all in New York. That'll be like the niche. It's a New York based thing. Um, I think I'm going to ask Christina to do it with me. What do you think? And Sam was like, oh my God, yes, that's exactly you should do it. And a hundred episodes later- Plus patron episodes and everything. We here we are. Here I can't are. believe it. Nor nor I. Nor I. We've we've done it. I, I am delighted still to this day that when people hear paranormal or aliens or things like that, they go, "No, Christina, Christina, <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, yeah." She'll be into that. I um, <laughs> I um, I I um listened to our trailer for the first time mm, when I was mm-hmm. preparing this, and I realized that our original tagline wasn't "Time to Hall for Ghosts." Oh, yeah, what was it? Was get on board. It was get on board. <gasps> And then we dropped it at after Completely. episode one. Like we dropped it a hard. I think we dropped it immediately. Immediately, because you said Tammy Hall, but for good. We did. And we just dropped I, it. Yep. Well, I, yeah. It's, now it's canon. Now it's Stuck canon. It, I will never go get on board, stupid. <laughs> Bad creative. Um, yeah, I'm so. I'm so happy we're here at episode 100. Um, I've done a few podcasts in my life, and this is the first time I've ever reached this pinnacle. So Woo! I'm as happy that we're here. And um, happy you're here. I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy you guys are here. Thanks for joining us on the journey. There's so many of you who we have to thank. Um, thank you to to every single one of you who's listened to the show, and we'll probably do some more thank yous by the end of the episode. But we're just so appreciative of you know this wonderful, wonderful. Uh, gift that we have mm-hmm. and christina mm. you know we wanted a special treat for our listeners yes and i just mentioned mm-hmm. our tagline yes. being tammany hall for ghosts right so what are we going to cover today today we are taking down tammany hall finally someone <laughs> needs to take them down so and it's gonna be us it's gonna be us we're doing it for ghosts we're doing this for folks who haven't been here long you, you or this is your first time why do you guys say time to all about for ghosts exactly um uh adam texted me 
uh, the name, you know, what do you think of the New York Mystery Machine? And I responded. And again, for me, I'm like, it's Scooby-Doo. It's fun. It's crazy. It's Scooby-Doo. The, the Mystery Machine is a Scooby-Doo thing. And I responded, oh, that's great. It's like Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. And Adam had to then tell me, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, but like really Scooby-Doo. Like, oh, and a hundred episodes later. And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And um, I still get to print it on a t-shirt. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we've been making this joke for two two years, three seasons now, but we've never really defined what Tammany Hall is, I think. So Tammany Hall was a political machine in New York City for 200 years. It began in 1789 as a rival to the Federalist Party, had a lot of overlap with local Democratic Party leaders and gained prominence and support, popular support, because it helped poor and immigrant groups. Um, but the name would also become synonymous with corruption. Um it was filled with political favors. Um, and so if a case, for example, came before a judge who was beholden to the machine in some way, a local leader would ask for the case to go in a certain way, and then the judge would basically oblige. And, you know, there were all of these corrupt personalities, some of them more famous than others. So there's a good chance you've heard of Boss Tweed, who made huge profits from the various undertakings he was involved in as a result of political positions. But by the 1930s, which, spoiler alert, is where we're going to be headed today. Huzzah! Uh, Tammany Hall had its talents in every level of New York City politics, from judges and politicians to lawyers who should have theoretically been defending those arrested but weren't. Um, and while there had been opposition to Tammany over the years in various waves, um, the biggest hit Tammany Hall took and that really led to its loss of power came during the gubernatorial term of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New York City mayoralty of Jimmy Walker. So FDR. Mr. Party Jimmy Walker. Mr. Party Jimmy Walker. We talked about Jimmy Walker. Maybe the Gay Street episode. I think 12 Gay Street. There was a a, mm-hmm. a saloon that Jimmy Walker would, oh, would inhabit. Yes. That may be Gay Street. I think it's Gay Street. Gosh, we've done a lot of episodes. I think it was a Gay Street episode with Jimmy Walker. And, and people still think they see Jimmy Walker down on Gay Street. Yes, that's it. Yes, he was a party right. mayor. He loved partying it up. Yeah, he he yeah, he really he enjoyed he enjoyed the good life in that way. <laughs> um and FDR was governor from of New York from 1929 until he became president of the United States in 1932, while Jimmy Walker was mayor of uh, New York City from 1926 to 1932. So there's some overlap there. Um, Jimmy Walker, uh, what did you call him, Mr. Party Man? Mr. Party Man. Mr. Party Man. Mr. Party Mayor. <laughs> Party Mayor. Um, was also known as Bo, J- Bo-, Bo James. Um, he was a Democrat and part of Tammany Hall's machine. His election in 1925 singled a renaissance of sorts for Tammany Hall. Police were given protection money by local businesses. Rackets in various markets and down by the docks were prominent. Professional licenses had increased fees to line the coffers of Tammany Hall pockets. And this wasn't to last long at this point. Um, Several key events prompted FDR, whose gubernatorial campaign was supported by some Tammany Hall members, but who did, uh, he, he did not seek their advice or show deference um, once he was part of, you know, once he was elected, um, you know, key events prompted him to start taking a very close look at the ways in which the political machine was operating in New York City. So, for example, there was a robbery of a New York City judge slash leader of um, a Democratic club. 
Uh, the judge was Albert H. Vitale, and on December 7th, 1929, he was the guest of honor at a dinner party at a swanky restaurant. Um, and towards the end of dinner, seven men with guns entered the room, stole $5,000 in cash, jewelry, and firearms. And then mere hours after this, a firearm that had been taken from a prominent policeman at the party was returned to said officer by Vitale, the judge himself. So a clear indication that he knew exactly how, who to talk to to get this back, that he has these connections to the underworld. And then his name was even found in the records of Arnold Rothstein, a gangster who'd been killed the previous year in 1928. So again, it prompted questions, started to percolate about like, what are the debts to the mob, especially? All this to say that by 1930, there was some impatience from those on the outside of the political machine to see power stripped from the corrupt system. Enter Samuel Seabury. That's right. Samuel Seabury. I'm Samuel Seabury. The great, great grandson of the Samuel Seabury. If from Hamilton fame. Exactly. So your Congress does not speak for me. Anyway. The, the very same. His great. It seems like that's not enough greats, but apparently it says. No, that's a correct. That's accurate. Is it? Yeah. You think logically. I guess. Yeah. 1700s. Not- how many greats is it? Uh, 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 I just lost it. Hold on. Great, great grandson. That's four generations. Great, yes. great grandson. That's four generations. That's that, that's accurate. We always I think. Guess, yeah, we always think. Right. We always think that great, great. We always think time is different. <laughs> yeah. But it's not. It's not. No, you're right. I guess that's right. That's true. Okay, I'll allow it. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, so this is a murder case, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Believe like, it or not, did I forget. Um. So Samuel Seabury was a judge and had for years been involved in reform movements aimed at rooting out the corruption of Tammany Hall. So by age 33, Seabury was a New York Supreme Court justice. Then about 10 years later, he returned to private practice after he lost um, a bid for governor. And then in August 1930, Seabury was appointed to the Hofstadter Committee as lead investigator. This would eventually become known as the Seabury Investigations, and we're going to refer to it as the Seabury Commission throughout. Now, there would be a series of such Seabury commissions, um, but the first began in 1930. Over 1,000 people were interviewed as investigators documented evidence of bribery and corruption. In the words of an article by Herbert Mitgang in The Atlantic, the investigation, quote, almost immediately uncovered a terrible story in which innocent women were framed as prostitutes by an unholy alliance of police officers, bondsmen, lawyers, a sort of court clerks and fixers, magistrates, and inevitably the politicians in power responsible for political appointments around the lowest criminal courts in New York City, unquote. So essentially officers would arrange for a man to get a woman in a hotel room. The guy would plant money. Officers would burst in under the pretense of interrogating the guy, but end up arresting the woman on the basis of the money and assuming, you know, that she was a sex worker. Then the woman would get charged an enormous amount by the bail bondsmen, as well as lawyers, in order to get a verdict of not guilty. And this is where we meet today's victim. Who is it? Vivian Gordon. Oh, Vivian. Vivian Gordon was born Benita Franklin in Michigan City, Indiana in 1891. She attended a convent school and then she traveled the East Coast as a chorus girl in vaudeville. She was married for about eight years, but left her husband in 1920 and moved to New York City, where she lived with different men over the course of time. Her estranged husband, John Bischoff, um, sought divorce and custody of their child, who was also named Benita, and was eventually successful um, after Benita, now known as Vivian Gordon, was arrested in 1923. So here's what happened. 
Vivian was in a hotel room with a man, not her husband, and the police burst in on them. The police took her to jail under the pretense that she had been paid for sex. She was convicted and sentenced. Vivian, however, was convinced that her husband, John Bischoff, who was a U.S. Marshal, had managed to arrange the arrest. She believed she was the victim of a, quote, frame-up. That's the, the terminology of the day. Um, and as a result of this, her husband was able to get both the divorce and the custody of their child. But given the corruption of the system, there wasn't really a way for her to go out proving it. So then throughout the 1920s, Vivian Gordon became a very, sex, a very successful sex worker. She did, in fact, go into sex work. Um, she had several other run-ins with the law, including for sex work, uh, as well as extortion. Um, basically, she would blackmail the men that she had had sex with so that they, she wouldn't tell their wives. Nice. Um, she was also, uh, you know, rounded up for public intoxication and some other things. But she always maintained that March 9th, 1923, that arrest for prostitution was a frame-up. So in 1930, Vivian learned of the Seabury Commission and its investigations and wanted immediately to get in touch. She told her lawyer as much and she um, that she was going to, quote, give McLaughlin, the arresting detective in 1923, the needle just to get even. And so on January 19th, 1931, over the protestations of her lawyer, John Radiloff, who insisted that the case was too old at that point to be worth addressing, Vivian Gordon sent the following letter to Detective McLaughlin. Would you like to be uh, Vivian in this moment? Sure. And, you know, I know that could be Vivian, but I think it is our 100th episode. It is our 100th episode. And I have an array. Oh, I see my name written a few times here. Yes. So I wonder if I should read these in our favorite, some of our favorite character voices. I think you should. Are these all Vivian? Not all of them. All right. Well, the first one... Um, give me a character. Who am I doing? I mean, I think you have to start with... I mean, do we want to do the old Southern gentleman? Has he started? I feel like... Poor Vivian. Here we go. <laughs> oh, Mr. McLaughlin, you no doubt recall how you framed Bonita Bischoff on March 9, 1923, causing her to be convicted for vagrancy. She is now riding to tell you that she is going to appear before the vice commission to tell the whole story. She leaves the rest of your imagination, which she hopes is as good as it was when you concocted those lies about her in court. BFB. Thank you very much. What's PFB? That was, uh, that's, her, that's her. It's Benita F. Bischoff is her legal name. But oh, Benita's was, letter, not Vivian's letter. It is It is Vivian. So Vivian, her her birth name is Benita, but she, she goes by Vivian uh, Gordon. Uh, naturally. Like you do. Like you do. Thanks. Uh, thanks, old Southern gentleman. You're welcome. <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> I said you're welcome. Uh. Um, Vivian also sent a letter to her ex-husband who had re- remarried in the intervening years and lived in New Jersey. Adam. Uh, I think we have an old-timey prospector. Oh, the old prospector. You know that my conviction has caused by frame between you and Detective McLaughlin. You think you may have the last laugh, but get this. I'm going before the investigation committee this week and intend to tell them the whole story, the whole, the whole dirty frame up. When I'm through with it, it'll just be too bad for you. Little Benita. 
is old enough now to realize the dirty little trick has been played on me. I intend to go the limit, and you know as well as I do, this means you're finished. They're all Southern, really. Yeah, there's a, there's a through line to the various characters. Now, these letters were sent three weeks prior to her sending a letter to the Seabury Commission, again against her lawyer's counsel. Here's the letter she wrote to the commission, dated February 7, 1931. Um... Quick note of Bene, it's addressed to a guy named Kressel, who was the right-hand man of Seabury. Adam? Well, this one then has to be our latest fave, um, the, the, who we learned about in season two, Larry the Hipster Ghost. Dear Mr. Kressel, um, I have some information in connection with a frame-up by a police officer and others, which I believe will be of great aid to your committee and its work. Um... I would appreciate an interview at your earliest convenience. Yours truly, Vivian Gordon. Thank you, Larry. Also, like, I just think that the entire frame and structure of criminology in the United States really needs a like a good look into. Um, not because it's unjust, just because I think we could be doing more on a spiritual level. <laughs> I think we all are these vessels for human emotion, and if we just concentrate that emotion into justice, justice will be like a bird in the sky just soaring above us. All right. Lost me there, Larry. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> Thanks for like that weird thing, you son. <laughs> well, episode 100! <laughs> people, people just tuning in are like, what the fuck? Why did I start episode 100, you said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Vivian sends these letters, and she receives a fairly quick reply from the Seabury Commission. And they schedule an interview for her on February 20th, 1931. Although it's worth noting that... How dare you! It's, it's worth noting that a lot of newspapers would uh, note that she never showed up to that interview, but that seems to be um, inaccurate. There does seem to be evidence that she did have an initial discussion with the office. There was some misreporting early on. Regardless, here's what Vivian told the commission. Vivian had been living in a Manhattan hotel and she left her mail with some guy. She was going to pick it up later that day. While on her way, a man claiming to be the roommate, but actually the, de the detective, approached her and said he was going to take her to the apartment to wait for the guy she'd given the mail to. So they went, and shortly thereafter, the police barged in, arresting her for prostitution. She was told by the Seabury Commission that she needed corroboration of the story, and she said she would work on that. She was due to return for a formal testimony giving on uh, February 27th. But Vivian would never get that chance. Uh, nor would she ever have a chance to really have her story corroborated because just six days later, after that first interview with the commission and the day before her scheduled questioning, February 26, 1931, Vivian Gordon was found dead. More on that after the break. We'll be right back after these messages. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. 
That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. I almost think that this case mm-hmm. is a murder most foul. I, I, I think you're right, Adam. Most foul. Most foul. Most foul. Mo- murder. Murder most foul. Most foul. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> Why did you start episode 100? I, I that, mean, that was... Because at this point in the game, people who have been on the ride with us, you know what you get. Right, right. You roll your eyes or you smile. Right. You, or it's both. A little bit of column A, a little column B. A little column A, a little column B. If you just started at episode 100, I don't... No no sympathy. I don't know what you were thinking. No sympathy. Uh, So, Vivian Gordon had just told the committee that she's got she'll she'll get her corroboration she can definitely do that um she was part of a frame up and then the night before uh she is supposed to turn up she is she is murdered she is found dead so it's february 26 1931 um and she is found strangled uh in van Cortland park in the bronx so here's the report on february 26 in the standard union Vivian was an attractive, stylishly gowned young woman with natural red hair. When found, her clothing gave evidence of a terrific struggle with her murderer or murderers. She wore only one black velvet pump. On her left hand was the mark of a ring, which apparently had been torn off from her hand. Her stockings had been ripped and her velvet dress had been torn above her knees. A black straw hat was found on the roadway some distance from the body. The body was discovered by Harry Francis, a trucker, who walks through the lonely section of the park where she lay on this on his way to work each day. A Bronx medical examiner said she had been dead for about three or four hours when found. And then more details from the Times Union. The face was bruised, as though she had been beaten before she was strangled with a length of light clothesline, twisted thrice about the throat, and made fast by a slip noose. The cord had been pulled so tightly that it cut into the flesh of the throat. There were no marks of struggle in the grass or bushes where the body was found, and it is believed that she had been killed elsewhere, probably in a motor car, and the body dumped where it was lying. So pretty quickly, the idea that Vivian was murdered by some random person was dismissed. Go figure. Um, Especially once fingerprints identified her as Vivian Gordon, a.k.a. Benita. Um, It was just too convenient, obviously, that the day before she's supposed to testify, she ends up dead. The New York Times reported that on on March 2nd that uh, Detective McLaughlin and the ex-husband John E. Bischoff denied any such involvement in her death. Uh, conveniently, Detective McLaughlin had been on a six-day trip to Bermuda at the time of Vivian's death, and when he returned, said the following of the investigation into his relationship to Vivian, quote, this is all Greek to me. I read, 
I read of the murder by wireless on the ship and received radios from friends and requests for statements from newspapers, but beyond that, I know nothing. The rules of the police department prohibit me from discussion of the case. And while uh, this Detective McLaughlin wouldn't end up on the hook for the for direct involvement in her death, the scrutiny did reveal corruption. How he had on a you know on a sixty dollar a week salary managed to accrue thirty five thousand dollars in two years was beyond anyone. So clearly he's been taking bribes. He's been you know doing some shady business. And so he was he was forced to leave the police force as a result. Meanwhile, the ex-husband, Bischoff, was questioned as well and said that he had hired a lawyer during her 1923 arrest to support his divorce claims. But he couldn't remember the name and seemed to think it might be something Weiss or something. <laughs> something Weiss. Some, something, something Weiss. Um, I always hear my lawyer's names all the time. All the time. All the time. In, in, in law proceedings. I'm like, gosh, what was the God, lawyer what who- was that guy? That important moment in my life who covered it. Who, so, how did I- mm, I don't remember- uh, so the police insisted that their men had nothing to do with any of the things for which they were being implicated and certainly not the murder of Vivian Gordon. So eventually the DA went over their heads and involved the Pinkerton Detective Agency as well. And I think this is marks the fir- one of the first times that the Pinkerton Detective Agency is being brought into official. Oh, hey, hey, Pinkerton, we, ca- we talked about Pinkerton last yeah, week. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. The foreshadow. The foreshadow is now complete. It's now complete. There it is. Uh, I think this is one of the first times that the, the, the government has gone to the Pinkerton Detective Agency to be like, hey. Can you do this? We don't trust our own guys. What an old agency. Yeah. It was still happening in the 1960s. Yep. I wonder if they're still here today. Good question. I don't know. You talk. I'll Google. Okay. Um, so meanwhile, there's the matter of Vivian Gordon's diaries. She kept several diaries, three of which were found in her apartment at 156 East 37th Street. Um, and these included names and addresses. Uh, from these, some deduce that Vivian had made quite a lot of money from her racketeering, and it also seemed to indicate that she had cavorted with high-level people in government as well as in the underworld slash mob. So notorious names like Arnold Rothstein and George McManus, as well as Legs Diamond. Hey, hey, hey. The Pinkertons found this? Um, it's unclear who found the diaries, but they were involved. I bet it's the Pinkertons. You know why? Why? They're like one of the oldest private security people, the, the investigation agencies in the world. Really? In, in not the world, America. Really? They were founded in 1850. Damn. They they have their roots serving as an intelligence agency during the Civil War it, and and continue to, to build from there. Wow. It was during the Civil War they were, they were working as spies. Alan J. Pickerton was a Scottish-American Cooper abolitionist and detective and spy best known for creating the Pinkerton detective agency in the U.S. and claimed to have foiled a plot in 1861 to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln. Oh. During the Civil War, he provided the Union Army, specifically General George M. McClellan of the Army of the Potomac, with military uh, intelligence. Yeah, he, during the Civil War, he provided the Union Army uh, with military intelligence. And so that was part of his his thing. And then the Old West, there's Pinkertons in the Old West, in the 1850s who served as private security guards and detective and stuff. And so, yeah, the Pinkerton company, it's been, it's old, it's still, it's still around. If you need to hire the Pinkertons. You can still do that? You head on over to Pinkerton.com. <laughs> Pinkerton.com That's for crazy. all your, your, they do, now they do, they have analyst centers, they have risk government governance, uh, high net worth individuals they protect, interests and privacy, threat management, there it is. Wow. 
Who knew? Who knew? I didn't even think of looking them up last week like a bad like <laughs> podcaster. I didn't look them up for this week. <laughs> like a bad podcaster because we're not good at our jobs. <laughs> and yet, Crazy. Here we are. <laughs> like, here we are, kitties. Um, wow. Well, there you go. Um, so investigators going through these records of hers and they start to notice that she's indicating in them that she's afraid of certain people as well. So here's one of the entries from her diary. Quote, I fear only John A. Radiloff. He could get Cohen or some of his friends to dispose of me. Unquote. Now, John A. Radiloff was a lawyer and the Cohen question was a certain Sam Cohen, also known as Charles Harris. John Radiloff was Vivian's own lawyer. So she's afraid of her own lawyer while Sam Cohen was an ex-convict. And Radiloff was actually the cousin of a guy named Radilow who had instigated one of Vivian's extortion charges. So this is not a reliable lawyer. I guess he's good at some things that Vivian needs, but she's afraid of him and has connections to guys who are... Oh, God. Yeah, it's a mess. Other notations in the diary included that, quote, a wealthy admirer has threatened me with death, unquote. By March 3rd, other entries were released by the district attorney. So... From February 12th, 1929, quote, did not start this diary for reasons other than to remind me of dates, but think, and here it's underscored, advisedly that it's best to put down things as they happen concerning Johnny Radiloff. He is not to be trusted. He would stoop to anything. And then on February 13th, J.A. Radiloff here, finale between us, refused to pay doctor's bill, phoned his mother and wife. If anything happens to me, he's to blame. He and his henchmen don't know when I go to hospital. Reckon as soon as he, J-A-R, gives me money for doctor, etc. And then there are a couple of entries with no dates. The first one, quote, the threat has been made. Sam Cohen, who was a client of J-A-R in a case, has brought the thugs, two of them, to J-A-R's office. So J-A-R told me and he refused to let them do the trick. And then the next one, J.A.R. here, again hinted about my getting killed. So there's a lot of people, including her own lawyer, sort of hinting at Vivian being bumped off for various reasons. Yeah. Um, Everyone wanted to bump off Vivian. Everyone had a reason. Everyone had some sort of Has reason, reason to bump off Vivian. Um, but we know who it was. And yet the police were like, ah, we don't know that there's enough evidence against Radiloff. No, um, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Um, so they start to investigate some of the other men listed in her diary as men she feared. Um, so one of those uh, that, that investigators began to hone in on was a Harry Saunders, a.k.a. Norge, a.k.a. Harry Stein. He was also listed as Charles Rubin in Vivian's diaries with the word Oslo next to that name. Now, Vivian had lent him about $1,500. And it was likely they figured that all these names were for the same person on the basis that there was only one recorded loan of that amount. The police also figured out that Oslo was referencing something to do with Norway, go figure. And they checked passenger records. And sure enough, on July 20th, 1929, a Charles Rubin had sailed with two others, including a guy they would later identify as a Sam Greenberg. Hold these names. I promise they're relevant. I mean, there's so many names. This, in honor of episode 100, Christine is giving you an old school Christine episode where she gives you about 1,400 names. 100%. Hope you're writing them down. Hope you're on your commute with a pen and paper like like you need to be. There you go. That's what I want. Um, they eventually match handwriting from the passport office and they get a match with known criminals, right? And that's how they get to match Charles Rubin with Henry Saunders, um, who is a guy who has been previously suspected of strangling women, including in the Bronx. So pretty strong 
Pretty strong suspect. It's like, why should we think, believe this guy did it? He has like strangled. He a has few strangled some women in the past. Other women, but why do we think he strangled this woman? Probably because he strangles women. <laughs> but but what's the reason? We don't know. But he does strangle but he does, women. Does have a history. <laughs> then there's a man named David Butterman which is a great name. Butterman. In the Bronx. They also zero in on Butterman in the Bronx. Yeah, Butterman in the Bronx. Um, he's someone who essentially agreed to be used as a fence for some of Vivian's things. So you'll remember that they mentioned in that article that she was seemed to have been wearing a ring, but that it was clearly removed. Like I guess I could see like the indent on her finger or whatever. Um, so he, he was going to be the fence for that bit of jewelry as well as maybe some others, as well as Vivian's coat. Um and it was believed that he had been shown these items by Harry Stein. Um, and when they approached Butterman, um, Butterman didn't last long under the pressure of questioning. He just said, yep, that's, that's correct, and gave up everything he knew. Meanwhile, they began to monitor some phone calls made by, uh, made by Harry Stein slash Saunders. Um, and he began communicating with a Harry Harvey. So this guy is really named Harry Shitlin. Uh, and is a taxi cab driver who apparently had rented a seven-passenger Cadillac sedan the night Vivian was killed. And Shitlin, too, was quick to give up information under pressure. So, per Shitlin, Shitlin? Schlitten. Schlitten. I've been saying his name wrong. Schlitten. Not, not Shitlin. Not Shitlin. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip there, guys. Schlitten. Shitlin. <laughs> per Schlitten, Stein had asked Schlitten to rent a car. When Schlitten asked why, and Stein apparently said, quote, if I don't get a certain party out of the way, a friend of mine is going to wind up going to jail, unquote. So on the drive, Stein apparently put a clothesline under the seat. Remember, she was strangled with a clothesline. And then told Schlitten, drive up to the Bronx and we'll look for a spot. They did, and Stein found a place he liked, and then they drove back downtown. Schlitten was then told by Sam Greenberg, told you he would come back. He'd come back. That he, Schlitten, was to play the part of the chauffeur, only the chauffeur, does, does not know these guys otherwise, when the, quote, party arrived. The day after the murder, Stein was bringing money to Schlitten, and Schlitten said, I was looking at the journal, a newspaper, and I said, hey, there's your friend Chowderhead, which is also a name for Sam Cohen. Hey, Chowderhead. So 19... How you do? So 1920s, 1930s. Hey, right? Chowderhead. Yeah. Then I opened to the picture of Radiloff and said, who's this party here? To which Stein apparently replied, that's the party we've done it for, Radiloff. I owe him $1,500. He defended me in a case. So if you're having trouble following, basically, all of these people are indebted to Radiloff, Vivian's lawyer. And according to the, the, the taxi cab driver who transported everyone and, their, and eventually Vivian's body, um, they, you know these individuals are bumping Vivian off in order to protect Radloff to get out of debt to him to you know whatever because her testimony in some way I guess is going to bring him down and nobody in all of Oz will ever bring him down so the district attorney finally felt pretty good about bringing in Stein and Greenberg man sometimes you just you give a reference and I have to like I get it's a wicked reference you like steamroll over my references. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry it's not fucking X-Files or Frasier. You know what? <laughs> I have to so I have to confess. I know the music from a get I wouldn't I Is that from one of the songs? 
Yes. Oh, well, then I don't know the music. And from nobody well in all of us knows that there is or was is ever gonna bring me down. I hope you're... Nothing? Forgot Nothing? Forgot completely forgot about God. that. God. Continue your story. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we really don't, we don't, we don't, we don't catch each other's references very well, do we? Episode 100, we still haven't worked still this out. Still haven't figured it out. Um, Adam does musical theater references, Christine does X-Files and Frasier <laughs> references. Which is funny, because I do love some musical theater. Well, and yet here I am. You could have fooled me. <laughs> you know, if it's not Fiddler on the Roof, I'd... The district attorney felt pretty good about bringing in Stein and Greenberg, um, finally. Um, Schlitten was offered immunity by testifying as primary witness. Stein and Greenberg lawyered up with a guy named uh, Sam Leibowitz, um, who had successfully defended Al Capone in the past. And basically his tack was this. All these witnesses are crooks. You're really going to trust them enough to convict these guys? And in the end, that gambit worked. <laughs> um, after three and a half hours, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty on June 30th, 1931. And so, with those men acquitted, there was a feeling that nothing further could be done. The case went cold, rattle off the lawyer was never pursued, and technically, Vivian Gordon's murder remains unsolved. But her murder had a huge impact. Yeah. The public became increasingly suspicious of the various public agencies due to the coverage, and that certainly wasn't helped by the fact that Seabury's commission decided to hire the Pinkerton Detective Agency to investigate the death rather than trusting just the police and the DA on their own. And the obvious miscarriages of justice throughout the case, from the initial frame-up of Vivian Gordon in 1923 to the connections between underworld and mob characters and various officers and persons within the justice system noted in her diaries, all of this made for strong reasons why the Seabury Commission needed to continue its work, including perhaps especially looking into the frame-ups of innocent women. So in the words of one paper at the time, quote, the rope that jerked tight around Vivian Gordon's neck to keep her from talking, is about to jerk the lid off a sizzling pot of scandals, frame-ups, charges, and countercharges in New York City's government. So because of the C- of Seabury's work cleaning up the courts through this commission, really given extra weight because of the publicity of Vivian's case, Roosevelt eventually expanded the investigation. Um, and so it began to investigate every department within New York City government. And eventually the mayor himself, James J. Walker, was a target. And it was found that he had been bribed by politicians, business people, others left and right. He was forced to step down and was replaced by Fiorella Guardia. Very influential. Very influential. Under whose term Tammany organizational membership dropped 70%. And it was a huge blow. And it's really how Tammany's decline began. It just There was no recovery after this period. And that's how Vivian Gordon and her untimely tragic death really uh, galvanized the push to bring down Tammany Hall. Well, there you have it. There. Did you mention Boss Tweed any of this? I did at the top. So long ago. So long ago. Um, as one of the, the, the major players that people may have heard of. Yeah. And do you guys want to hear more about Boss Tweed? I mean, obviously. Do you guys want to hear more about Boss Tweed? Yeah! Do you guys want to hear more? If you guys want to hear more about Boss Tweed... And the Tweed Courthouse, which is notoriously a spot for the Tammany Hall. Woo! Um, and perhaps even some more Tammany Hall um, spots. If you subscribe to our Patreon this month at the $5 or more level, you'll get a bonus 
patron exclusive episode all about the ghost of Tammany Hall. Oh man. So um a little in conjunction with episode 100 August's uh patron exclusive is all about the ghosts of Tammany Hall um and the 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 places that Tammany Hall resided and the spirits I inhabited. Um I have a personal story of one. I worked I worked at a um the Union Square Theater which was at one point a Tammany headquarters. And so, uh, yeah, if you subscribe to our Patreon this month or next month, whatever you want, I mean, honestly, it'll always be there. Um, but you get that in conjunction. Well, thank you, Christina. Don't, not letting you go yet. I just texted you a link. Oh, that t- I would like you to open. What link is this? I made, it made a little art project. This is my Pepe Silvia map of, of how all of our cases are secretly related to Tammany Hall. <laughs> today's case it's a little insane but it's my pep you, 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 do, do you watch always sunny no okay so another reference that we but have I, to... i've seen the image yes you know the pepe sylvia wait is this every it's not every i'm still working on it but it's it's the ones that immediately come to mind yeah wow this is um we'll share this link is yeah the link we'll share uh yeah we can share the link yeah it is pretty it's a work in progress and it's pretty crazy a lot of what's the hot take um, I should actually open this. Look at this. Myself. Aaron Burr, Theodosia Burr. There's a hot take between Aaron and Theodosia. No, the hot take was that she murdered everyone. Oh, that's um, the hot take. The hot been, take. I love the graphic. Yeah. <laughs> hot take graphic. Uh, yeah. So uh, I love how this also show, shows um, how how much Aaron Burr is intertwined <laughs> in everything, in everything. We, do. we had the the phrase in our opening song. Aaron Burr is back again. Is just do you know resonates. who did, do you know who didn't make it into the song? I tried to Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer. I mean, he's a bit of a liar, so. Oh, I could probably get Hans Holzer on here. You could definitely get Hans Holzer on here. Um, did you did you notice that uh, the because of the Pinkerton Detective Agency connection, we got John Lake from last week in there? Did you, up, did you just update? Yeah, this? just before we started recording. Jeez, this is pretty crazy. This is why I texted you the other, the other day with like, did did uh, FDR figure prominently in uh, any of your uh, cases? I mean, the TR did, so you can like extend oh, that's out. that's true, because like, they're cousins. They're cousins. You can Done. extend out to uh, Oh, this just Bill opened McKinley. whole new doors. Bill McKinley's death. TR gets the... Uh, and... And Bill McKinley... Connects, I believe... Does he connect? No. I don't know. Why is Hazel drawn this? No, I was going to say, I'm trying to remember. Who killed him? Uh, Chokov. Oh, no, that's a different Leon Chokov. Never mind, I can't connect it then to what I was going to connect it to. That's okay. But anyway, work in progress. My Pepe Silvia map of Man, how oh, everything is secretly this about is, Vivian this Gordon and Tammany crazy. Hall. I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> in honor of episode 100 we have the entrance to this madness. Um, I wanted, I want to take a moment before we end this episode to thank everyone who's who's listened to all these episodes from 1 to 100. If you listen to all 100 of them, if you've listened to a few of them, if you go back and forth, uh, I want to thank everyone who has given us their support via Patreon. Um, those include our, our OG patron, uh, Jordan, who's our very first, um, Carla, Sam, Anne-Marie, Christian, Christina, Kate, Chrissy, Jessica, and our newest uh, patron, uh, Jordan. Thank you, everyone. Jordan joined our Patreon uh, a few weeks ago, uh, but we've been recording in bunches. So, um, but thank you, Jordan. She joined at the $10 Fibro Baba Yaga level. Love that name. So um, thank you to all of our patrons for for uh, uh, um, 
giving us your support. We're we're going to be hopefully getting some new equipment in the coming months. Um, my headphones are about to break legitimately. <laughs> my computer is also about to break too. So oh, great! It's a good it's a good time to be alive <laughs> and to give us your money. Uh, thank you to everyone who's supported us by leaving us reviews on on our social medias uh, and on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all really important. You, all of these reasons are why we're still on the air. I, I mean, we would do this for five people. We're, we're happy that we're doing it for a whole lot more than five people. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone. Christina, and thank you to you. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for taking this journey with me. Thank you for inviting me along. A hundred episodes. It's a lot of them. Can you even believe? No. <laughs> it's no. getting harder, but I do believe that it's getting harder to find <laughs> cases <laughs> that have like information. I know. New York, when, we, when you go niche... You have to, you have to, you have to own how niche it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been episode 100 of the episode New York Mystery Machine. Um, I've been out of maze. I've been Christina Marnelli. And thank you, thank you, and thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but fuck, but barely, because we took Tammany Hall down. Woo! Actually, it's not really Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. <laughs> when you take Tammany Hall down, you effectively remove their existence. Shut up. Tiny Alpha Ghosts. See you next time.